Well, good morning. I, I guess I can say this now, you know, it's, it's nice to see your faces. Uh, it's been kind of a, yeah, that's good. <laughs> been kind of a lonely sort of existence up here when all I see is this. And so, you know, many of you may feel like, well, you know me because you've seen my face, but it might take me a minute or two to, to uh, either meet you for the first time or to uh, recognize you as we go. But I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, and so thank you for being here. Um, I learned when I moved to Minnesota that there really are two types of people. The kind that have boats, and then the kind that people know other people that have boats, right? Because 10,000 lakes, a lot of boats. Now, I grew up in Iowa. That's exciting. But I grew up in Iowa, not as many lakes, not boating, not as big of a deal. Here, seems like a really big deal. Well, so therefore, I don't really have much experience on boats. I don't really belong on a boat. Uh, but don't let that discourage. If you want to invite me, I'd love to go on your boat. But I was out in California working on this project. Uh, and, you know, as, as you know, I've, I've done a lot of different interesting things. I was working on this energy efficiency project in California, and, and I got stuck there over the weekend. And the guy I was working with said, hey, since you're going to be stuck here anyway, do you want to go shark fishing tomorrow? And of course, I'm like, of course I do. Sure. And he's like, okay, it's going to be great. Uh, let's meet at three, and then we'll go from there. Well, I thought he was talking about three in the afternoon. Apparently, the goal in shark fishing, step number one, is you have to get wherever you're going before the sun comes up. So he meant three in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but what good can possibly come from getting in a boat and going out to the middle of the ocean somewhere in the middle of the night, in the dark? Well, it didn't work for me anyway. I mean, I, I guess I should have probably told this guy up front that I might have a wee bit of emotion sickness uh, issue. But I decided to just go anyway. And so 3 a.m., we, we loaded it all up. We headed on out there. Now, the weather was kind of overcast, so you couldn't really see the stars. The moonlight was very, very minimal. And if you've ever been off the coast of California, you, there are lots, believe it or not, there's lots of the coast out there that has no development at all. There's no light pollution or anything. So it doesn't take very long before you get out and it's really dark. And I learned pretty quick that uh, dark plus this kind of thing, plus not being able to see the... But it just about made me sick right there. <laughs> just not being able to see the horizon was a disaster for me. So I'm trying to hold it together. And I'm sitting on this tall chair that's kind of elevated off the thing. And he's, he's across the way. And he's well, driving the boat. I don't even know if that's the word, but he's, he's steering them. We're having a conversation and, and I start getting really quiet because I have to kind of say like, we're about to make an unscheduled stop in Yaksville. And uh, he's like, are, are you doing all right? And I'm like, um, do you have any like really fast acting motion sickness remedies like that you could give me right now? And he was like, so he gets out and he, he gets this whole package of ginger gum. I don't know if you've ever had this before, but I got this ginger gum. And so I'm, I chewed the whole pack of gum. I go, 
it's not working. It's not making me feel any better. And at some point while I'm sitting there chewing, it almost happened like in slow motion, at least in my mind. I was sitting on this tall chair and I just fell all the way from the chair, face first, right down on the floor. Okay? It's a wonder I didn't like break my nose or something like that, but I, I managed to roll over and I'm staring up at the well, I can't see the stars. I'm just staring up into the darkness, and I can kind of see his silhouette over the top of me. And he just mutters to himself, I should have never brought you on this boat. <laughs> okay, well, maybe truer words have never been spoken. But laying down out there, looking up in that just darkness, and knowing that we're at least an hour and a half away from shore, and the wind is picking up, and the boat, I'm not going to do that again. The boat is doing this kind of thing. It was really scary. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified, uh, no matter how I tried to, to pull it off otherwise. And I think, at least at some level, that that might be how the disciples were feeling in terms of what we're going to be talking about today. It's, it's this, this continuation of these signs, these miracles, whatever you want to call them, all throughout the Gospel of John. And so remember, there's seven uh, in the Gospel of John that we, we talk about and we identify that, that John has, has really put forth as important things that we need to know. But remember, in chapter 20, he says, it's not just for your information. He tells us these specific things so that we may come to know and believe the truth about who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. It's, it's for our transformation. It's to open our eyes and so that we might see Jesus for who he truly is. And so this is the fifth sign. If, if you remember, we've gone through, starting at the beginning of the Gospel of John, and in John chapter 2, we talked about how Jesus turned the water into wine at this wedding in Cana. That was number one. And then the, the second uh, sign or miracle was that he healed this official son, not even being physically near this little boy. He just spoke it and the kid was healed. And then the third sign was this healing at the pool of Bethesda, where Jesus, again, just says to the man, take up your mat and walk. And the guy did, after 38 years of not being able to do so. So that was amazing. And then last week, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. We Remember, we went over that there were definitely more than 5,000 people there. We're talking about, it's more like the feeding of the fifteen to 20,000 maybe even on the conservative side, fifteen to 20,000 people. So that was an amazing thing. So this comes right on the heels of that. As a matter of fact, it's the same day that this all happened. So it's the same day. That's where we're going to pick up today. And it's, it's, it's probably well known uh, to you if you've been coming to church or you're a Christian. But even if you're not, even if you're not a believer, even if this is your first time you've ever been to church, this story about Jesus walking on the water is well known. A lot of people have tried this, maybe in the backyard pool, or maybe in the lake for that matter. But uh, we're going to get into what does this mean? What is, what is John trying to help us to understand about who Jesus is and what he came to do that is revealed to us in this miracle of Jesus walking on the water? But before we dive into all this, we're going to continue in John chapter 6. But let's pray together as we ask the Lord to be here with us and to change us from the inside out. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and we praise you for the miracle of life. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for 
sending your son, Jesus. Lord, we just ask now in these moments that we have together that it not be my words that we hear, but it be your word. Because we know, Lord, that your word gets it done. Your word does what it says. And so you have promised to meet with us, Lord, and we're asking that you do exactly that. Not just so that we might learn facts and figures about you, but so that we might come to know you and to trust you and to follow you more closely than we ever have before. So Lord, we, we just implore you to raise the dead in this particular place. Take dead sinners and turn us into your saints. We know we can't do that ourselves, Lord. We know that it's only through you that this happens. So we invite you here right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're going to be spending some time in this, in this fifth sign. And uh, as we go through this, I think that there's some real uh, depth that we might have missed before because this thing goes by really quick. Now, three of the four Gospels write about this miracle, Matthew, Mark, and John. Now, Matthew is the only one who writes this, this thing about talking all about Peter, about, remember, Peter getting out of the boat. Now, you may have heard a lot of sermons as it relates to this whole walking on water thing that are all about that. They're all about Peter getting out of the boat. And we, you know, maybe you've heard this over and over again. But I would, I would argue that John doesn't talk about Peter. Actually, neither does Mark. But John specifically doesn't talk about Peter because he's not really interested in Peter. He's interested in Jesus, right? Now, how many times do we turn Peter into the hero of the story? Like, go, Peter! But Jesus is the one that demands our actual focus. Jesus is the one that we're supposed to be focused on. So John doesn't mess with the, with the Peter thing. He just talks about Jesus walking on the water. And it goes by quick, and therefore, we might just be tempted to, when we're reading the Gospel of John, to just sort of skip over it. Because it seems like, oh, well, it's only a few verses, so we, then we just move on. Uh, and remember, though, this is all in the context of coming off the heels of this amazing miracle where Jesus has fed all these people by just creating food. Where there was no food, he just created food and fed all these people. The disciples themselves had each 12, there were 12 baskets of leftovers, one for each of them. So they not only were there and saw this, they participated in it. They participated in this miracle. But yet, even with all of that, even though they have been with Jesus from the very beginning, they still don't quite understand who Jesus is. And that's an ongoing theme that we see here because the crowd that was there, remember Jesus was at the height of his popularity. More and more and more people are coming around this guy because he's doing all of these amazing things, way more than what John wrote about. Remember, John just wrote these so that we know who Jesus is, but he says that Jesus was doing amazing miracles, signs, wonders all the time. And so the crowd is picking up because the crowd... Well, they want in on the action, right? You would too, so would I. And so they're following Jesus, but not necessarily for the right reasons. They're more interested in, okay, well, if we're looking for a political king, somebody who can you know, dominate our enemies, and somebody that can really kick the Romans out once and for all, well, it seems like somebody you really want on your team is a guy who's running around 
feeding people from nothing, healing people from whatever ails them, turning water into wine, all of these amazing things. You know, this is the guy you want on your team. Well, they want Jesus on their team. They want him to be the king. But they don't quite understand the kind of king that Jesus is. So remember, we, this is the last, the last two verses we talked about last week. John chapter 6, uh, let's just read verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, this is the miraculous feeding, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now here we go. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Because... Jesus is not interested in being the kind of king that they want. And sometimes we want him to be the kind of king that we want, not receive him for the king that he truly is. These, these people are no, no different. Well, you maybe can kind of accept that in terms of the people as a whole, as a mass of people, as, as people that were just sort of following the crowd. Maybe that's kind of easily understandable. But what about these disciples? What about these disciples? They've been there the whole time, but they still don't get it. They still don't understand who this Jesus is. And that, again, we see all throughout the Gospels of this misunderstanding of who Jesus is, of what he came to do, and even how he came to do it, how he will go about fulfilling these promises. Uh, people miss this all the time, and we miss these things about Jesus all the time, too. We tend to, to just know information, but we don't necessarily know Jesus just because we know about him. And so I'm going to read uh, this little section. It's verses 16 to 21. And then we're going to go, like I said, it's short. We're going to go back then and actually start to look at some of the depth here about the truth of who Jesus is. Uh, starting in 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, like I said, we're not going to talk about Peter and him getting out of the boat and all that kind of stuff, but what we are going to talk about is this journey that the disciples were on as they got in this boat and went out in the dark. Now, does that sound a little strange or peculiar? Because this is not sounding like a really great idea. Like, I don't think uh, the disciples were, you know what we ought to do? We ought to get in the boat and go out here in the middle of the night. Now, Matthew and Mark tell us it was the fourth watch of the night. So we're talking about this time period between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it's, this is the darkest part of the night. And they're going to be heading out. But remember, in John, we've seen this over and over again. John continues to use this theme of darkness into light, coming out of the darkness, going into the light. And we just got done saying that, well, the disciples, they didn't seem to really get it. They didn't seem to really get what Jesus was about and who he was. Matter of fact, Mark, uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, uh, he actually just says, they, the disciples, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So in other words, even though they were there, even though they saw this miraculous feeding, 
even though they participated in it. Their hearts were hardened. Their eyes were not open. They couldn't see Jesus for who he was. They misunderstood. And so Mark and Matthew tell us that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. This wasn't a voluntary, hey, guys, I got a great idea. This was Jesus telling them, hey, get in the boat. I will catch up with you later. Now, if you look at all three accounts of this, you start to see that each writer emphasized certain details that maybe the others didn't. And if you look at the locations, we start to maybe even get confused about, well, why does one say Capernaum and the other says uh, Gennesaret? And you know, what are we really talking about? Are, these, are they all saying the same thing or what? Well, if you look at all three of them and you kind of put this together, you, you realize that Jesus made them get in the boat and head off. And he did say, you know, well, I'm going to catch up with you later because we see in John, it says he, he didn't show up. He wasn't there yet. Well, he wasn't there yet because apparently they were on their way to Capernaum, which is on the, let's get the map up here. I got a little map here. Uh, we got a little, this, thank you, Google, by the way, Google Earth. Uh, so we've got the Sea of Galilee here, which it's a lot longer uh, up and down than it is wide uh, across. It's maybe a little over seven or eight miles at, at some of these points across. Uh, but you'll see that the feeding of the 5,000 or the, the feeding of the, the, the big crowd happened on uh, the east side of the lake. And then Jesus makes them get in the boat and, and tells them, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you. So they're trying to get to Capernaum in this boat. But as they go, the wind picks up. It's in the middle of the night. It's dark. They're struggling. They're, it's a challenge. They're trying to row and row and row, and they're making very little progress. Matter of fact, the wind is blowing them further and further into the middle of the sea. And so there you have this miracle location. That disclaimer, that is not the actual latitude and longitude of this exact miracle. That's just a guess. But the wind was blowing the boat further and further out away from where they were trying to get to. So they were alone, they were in the dark, in the middle of this sea, in the middle of this storm. And I would imagine that this is very unsettling, right? It's very unsettling. They were struggling. And they were not making very much forward progress. Matter of fact, when you look at the, at the lake the, the time that they had spent rowing to even get where they were should have almost been enough time that they could have rowed across the entire lake in good weather. They're overwhelmed and they're exhausted and they are at their wit's end trying to make progress against this. But the storm is, is too much. But remember, don't miss this. Jesus sent them into the storm. He sent them in this boat, in the dark. He told them to go. It says he made them go. So they went. And here they are now, struggling on their own without him. He sent them because sometimes he sends us into a storm. Sometimes we won't learn any other way. Sometimes the storms in our lives are not things that are just, oh, well, what an unfortunate coincidence, but they actually are the Lord himself directing and sending us into a storm 
for a purpose that we may not understand and we certainly may not like, but that doesn't mean there isn't a purpose. He's sending us into a storm for a purpose. And storms, as we know, are very frequent, aren't they? Maybe you're in a storm in the middle of your life right now. And if you're not in a storm right now, you've certainly been in one. And if you haven't, which I would doubt very much, then there's maybe one that you are seeing forming on the horizon and coming your way. The, the truth is that we all face storms in this life. But the good news is that Jesus is Lord of the storm. Jesus is Lord of the storm. We don't have to think that, well, we've just got to continue to struggle and grind and row against the wind. Why would Jesus send me out here? Jesus is Lord of the storm. And sometimes living by faith, sometimes following Jesus means being willing to follow his directions, to, to go and to obey. I, I, we don't tend to like to use that word, but that's really what it boils down to. You'll notice these disciples, when he made them get in the boat and go, they, there's no record of any protest. They didn't say, well, can you sell me on the merits of what you're asking of us? Can you tell me exactly why we would do this? What, what's the purpose? What's the point? It seems too risky. Why would we get involved in that? What? I got a better plan. Why don't we just stay here instead? Why don't we just stay here? But no, Jesus sent them in this storm for a purpose, and they just went. They obeyed. They got in the boat, and they took off. Now, what would it be like in our lives if we just obeyed what Jesus said? What would it be like if we just actually trusted that Jesus sees and knows more and what's best for us, even when we don't like it, we don't agree with it, we don't want to participate in it, what would it be like if we just trusted that he does know best, that he continues to guide us and lead us into places, but he doesn't leave us alone? We'll get to that in just a minute. He's got a purpose for sending us into the storm. And storms come in all different kinds of ways don't they? But why would there be this apprehension again? You know, why, why would there be this, this uh, struggle that the disciples are having about being on a boat in the middle of the ocean? Well, not the ocean, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I can think of two main reasons. The first is that everything is scarier in the dark, isn't it? I don't know about you, but uh, when it's dark and you are unfamiliar with the area and you're trying to find your way and you don't know the circumstances, it's really, really hard to navigate in the dark, okay? So it's scarier in the dark. Maybe for, for you, a, a simple example might be that uh, have you ever been driving and you had your headlights off and you didn't know it because you were in an area that there was enough light pollution, there were enough street lights or whatever that you could see enough. But what happens when you then suddenly get into a dark area where there aren't any streetlights? Well, you learn real quick that you can't see in front of you. And hope, hopefully, you then slow down and figure out what's going on. But it's scary in the dark. The second thing is that, well, they were not, the, the ancient Israelites were not known for being big, uh, you know, water sports uh, enthusiasts. 
They, they were actually quite concerned and afraid, most of them, about large bodies of water. They, that was not what, you, for vacation time, they didn't spend a lot of time swimming in large bodies of water because they heard a lot of these stories about uh, the sea being something of, of chaos, uh, of disorder, of, of unpredictability, of, of all of this stuff that can go wrong in the storms, in the seas. And this Sea of Galilee is, is not very big. Somebody at the first service told me that it's uh, a third the size of Lake Mille Lacs. Uh, if only I knew how big Lake Mille Lacs was, but maybe you do. Uh, but uh, the, it's not very big, and it's 700 feet below sea level. Okay, 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded on all three sides. The fourth one, not so much, but all three sides have mountains. And so you can, you just kind of know this is set up for this wind to kind of whip through there. It, it happened then, it happens now. These storms come up very, very quickly. But Jesus, remember, Jesus sent them into the storm knowing that it was coming. They might not have known, but Jesus knew that there would be a storm and they would have to deal with it. They would have to encounter this storm, but he did it with a purpose. Again, he never promised that it would be easy. He never promised that our life following him would be easy. We are being conformed to his image. Now, following Jesus doesn't mean that we don't suffer and struggle but it does mean that we don't do it alone. But are we willing to follow Jesus? Are we willing to obey what Jesus is asking of us? There's a, a famous quote by this guy named uh, John Shedd in uh, 1928. He had like a little book of, of kind of sayings or, or this was included in that. And you've probably heard it because it's been used and repurposed several times along the way. But the reality of it is, I think it's, it's really great in its original form. You ready for it? Ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. Ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. Now, I don't think that's just true for ships. I think that's true for Christians, right? How much time do we spend not doing the mission that Jesus has asked of us. Because instead, we sit in a safe harbor. We stay inside of our comfort zones. Maybe we think, well, the long and short of what it means to be a Christian is, well, I just go to church. I just participate in a weekly worship service. But that is not what Christians are made for. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. And so when Jesus is sending these folks out, it's so that they start learning more about who he is. Well, guess what? In the storms of our lives, we know more about who God is in those storms than we do at any other time because God makes himself so present and so available in those times where it seems that all hope is lost. And we have our hope in this one, this, this Jesus. And so are we willing to actually go out and to, to go into the storms that Jesus continues to send us into, knowing that it won't be easy? Matter of fact, this is all kind of leading up to later in the Gospel of John, where uh, Jesus just comes right out and says, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, 
I have overcome the world. Our hope is not of this world. Our hope comes from him who came into this world to bring us, to prepare a place for us, to to take us with him to where he is leading. And, And that requires us to go where he is sending us. Remember Matthew 28, uh, we kind of just pass over that, call it, well, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. The great, go, therefore, and make disciples uh, of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Now, isn't it a lot more fun when we get to tell other people that they should obey? That's really not quite what's happening here, right? You know, obedience starts here. And so are we willing to obey? Are we willing to go? Or do we stand on the shore and protest and say, you know what, there's got to be a better way than this. Jesus, I don't think you've thought this through. This sounds like a bad idea. I'm not interested in participating. Or do we just obey? Do Do we go? And again, it's the great commission, but really we should maybe say it like this. It's the great co-mission. It's a great co-mission. We're not meant to do it alone. We're not meant to do life alone. And so, yes, we have the benefit of, of other people, and we thank God that he has sent other people to us so that we don't have to do life alone. But Jesus himself does not avoid the storms. He walks right into them. Jesus doesn't avoid our storms He walks right into them because he's Lord of the storm. He's Lord of even the storm. Matter of fact, in another account where Jesus calms the storm, the disciples say to themselves, who is this that even the wind and the waves listen to him? He's Lord of the storm. And so pick it up here in uh, verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. He's there. He shows up right in the middle of the storm. He doesn't leave them struggling forever and ever and ever. He shows up, he walks into the storm. But this, this thing that he says is, you know, recorded here as, it is I. That doesn't really do it justice. We, we tend, especially with our perspective of looking back on this, if we look at the original language, it, the phrase that is used there is ego ami. That is a phrase that means I am. I am. Now, for those of you that that kind of rings a bell, maybe you're not quite sure where it comes from. Well, Moses... Uh, when God chooses Moses to be the instrument to, to, to set the captives free from slave, slavery in Israel, he continues to tell Moses, you're going to be the one. You're going to do this. And Moses, oh, no, 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 no. Send somebody out. He goes through all these excuses. He got a lot of excuses, a lot of good ones too. But uh, he goes through all that. And, but one of the things he protests about, he says, who can, I, who can I say sent me? Who can I say sent me? It's kind of like what, you know, when you used to, talk on the phone back in the day when we used to talk on the phone, uh, and, and somebody would ask you something, uh, or they would say, hey, can I talk to your dad, or can I talk to your mom? What, what were we supposed to ask? Who can I say is calling, right? Who can I say is calling? Because there's power in knowing somebody's name, 
There's power in knowing somebody's name, especially in the ancient world. If you knew somebody's name, that meant you had at least some kind of power or control, whether it was perceived or real or not. Knowing somebody's name gave you like a one-up. And so when Moses was saying, hey, God, who should I say sent me? He was trying to get God's name, but God gives him kind of this gobbledygook. He says, this almost sounds like it's from Popeye. Uh, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. But when Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? God says, you tell him I am sent you. And now in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the storm, the disciples see Jesus coming. They're frightened. And Jesus says to them, I am. Do not be afraid. That is a major development here in the disciples' understanding of who Jesus is. Again, Jesus is Lord of the storm. He's making that claim right there by referring, referring to himself in this special way, I am. And we will see this over and over again in the Gospel of John. But uh, the psalmist in Psalm 107, talks about this idea of the Lord of the storm. There are many more psalms than just this one, but this one really spoke to me as I was preparing this message. Uh, look at uh, Psalm 107, verses 23 to 32. This tells us about the Lord of the storm. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of elders. Folks, that's what we're supposed to do. You and I are gathered together in Jesus' name so that we can recognize that he is the Lord of the storm. We don't just praise him when things are going great. We just don't say, oh man, it couldn't get any better. Lord, thanks for that. We praise him in the storms and we trust and believe that he's coming into the storm with us. Do you believe that today? He alone has the final word. We just sang about this. Did you catch that in that new song that we've been doing? It's one of my favorites but he tells the storm when it will cease before it starts. That's how much our Lord of the storm has this power over everything. But in order to experience that, in order to realize that, in order to embrace him for who he truly is, what do we need to do? Well, I got a great idea we got to let him into our boat. We've got to let him into the boat. That's what the disciples do. Take a look at uh, verse 21. After Jesus tells them who he is, I am. Do not be afraid. Then it says in verse 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So they took him into the boat 
And then because of Jesus, they got to where Jesus was taking them. Okay? There's a lot we can learn from that. But it starts pretty basic. Just answer this question. Are you willing to receive Jesus into your boat? Are you willing to take him in your boat? Because if not, then just plan on struggling and struggling and struggling and rowing and rowing and rowing against the wind, against the storm, trying to figure it out on your own. And, and Jesus, in the Mark uh, account, Jesus actually comes walking up on the water. It, it doesn't even look like he's going to stop. looks like he's just going to keep wa- walk right by him. Is that you today? Are you so busy struggling and rowing and trying to exhaust yourself doing that, that, that Jesus just walks right on by? Or are you willing to receive him into your boat? Because when we receive him into our boat, then guess what? He does the rowing. He does the rowing. He does the guiding. But the question is, do you have any room in your boat? Because our, our lives, our vessels, our, if we check the manifest, we got lots of stuff, got lots of stuff that's in that boat. We got maybe even lots of people that are in that boat. And so whatever it is, whatever we're struggling with, it, it might be an addiction of some kind. It might be hopelessness. It might be loneliness. It might be any kind of struggle that the Lord has not abandoned us in, but it's hard. And we still think like, well, if I could just, if I could find the right program or if I could just do the right thing or if I could just be strong enough or if I just had enough willpower, then I could overcome this. But you don't need self-help. You need the Lord's help. You need Jesus in your boat. Now, sometimes we think about this like, okay, well, I got to clean some stuff out. Remember my, my friend who's standing, looking at me, says, I should have never let you on this boat. What do you need to look at in your life right now and say exactly the same thing? Because we all take on stuff. We all have big plans and ways that we think we're going to take over everything and we're going to make it all work. And then the storm comes and it all falls apart. But Jesus is Lord of the storm. He's in the storm. He's with us. Will you let him in the boat? Will you let him do the rowing? Will you let him get you to where he needs you to go? Even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't want to obey, will you receive him into your boat? But lest we come to the conclusion that it's all about spring cleaning. Like, well, I just got to make enough room for Jesus. What if we, what if we just started over? What if we just said, all right, let's start with only Jesus in the boat and we'll see what else fits. Because we so often try to do it the other way. Well, I'll just, I'll squeeze a little Jesus in on the, on the margins. Uh, maybe I'll just, I'll do a little bit here, do a little bit there, and, and maybe that'll be good enough. But what if we started with Jesus? What if we received him in our boat first and then said, all right, Jesus, where are we going? Where are we going? What are we doing? 
and we followed him to wherever that was. Because when we know and we trust, we believe that he is Lord of the storm, then we never face these storms in life alone, ever. Jesus is Lord of the storm. He is forever faithful. And when we let him in the boat, only then will we get to where it is that Jesus wants us to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of who you are and what you came to do for us. But Lord, even beyond that, not just what you do, Lord, we're amazed by who you are. We praise you in the good and in the bad, in the peace and in the storms. Lord, we give you control. We ask you to to take over and to do what only you can do. To redeem us, to save us from our sin. Lord, we're so thankful that even though the disciples didn't seem to get it, you didn't give up on them and you don't give up on us. Not because we're going to somehow figure it out, but because you continue to teach us and guide us and give yourself to us. Lord, give us the strength and the courage to recognize you. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. We receive you in our boat, first and foremost. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.